it's it's easy to dream the big thing and it's maybe even easy to line out the steps that it would take to accomplish the big thing but it's much harder for us to stick with the little things that need to happen in order for the big thing to come to fruition and so it's our inability to focus on the little things not our inability to focus on the big thing that doesn't make the big thing happen Hello and welcome to Thinking Out Loud. I'm your co-host Nathan Rittenhouse. And I'm your co-host Cameron McAllister. I hope everyone's New Year is off to a wonderful start. Cameron, um, quick pop quiz. Well, this is just a funny thing. Do you know what we were talking about this time last year? I think, was it three cheers for New Year's resolutions or something along those lines? Probably, probably something along that line. Another one that was happening around this time last year was Pray for Damar Hamlin. Oh, wow. Remember that? And we, and the, the, it was like this whole big thing all over the place. And we're mm-hmm. like, you know what? In a year, nobody's going to be talking about this. I put a note on my calendar for a year from when we had that conversation. And I saw that pop up as a reminder. So I hope all of you are still praying for Damar Hamlin out there. Um, but yeah, just to show you how something that was, I mean, it was a serious thing. It but was, it was a yeah. really, really, really big deal in the news. And I bet very few of you listening to this thought of this a year later when you woke up this mm-hmm. morning. So let that be a reminder um, that sometimes the things that are really, really big deals in our lives, in our day, um, are important, but they are not life-changing, perhaps, for us. Um, And I'm not saying that in a callous way toward DeMar or anything like that, just a a fact of how the news cycle can get captivated by something, um, and then it disappears. Mm. Um, And so in some ways, that's great. It's good that some things disappear from our attention span. And other times that's a shame on us kind of thing for forgetting um, about some important things that are happening in the world. So anyway, with that cheery note, let's uh, talk about the new year without talking about resolutions. So I had this thought. Yes. Yeah. First time ever that most of the time when we're beginning a new year, I think people are dreaming about big things or, you know, it's always kind of the same categories of resolutions, but it's it's often terms of like I've got a big important thing to do this year, or we we kind of schedule our lives around the big important things to do, and it it just struck me as interesting that we use big and important together. Like, have you ever, or, or should we use more like I have this little really important thing to do because I, this is a convoluted thought, but let me try to hit it from a couple different angles. So I was running an errand with my daughter for somebody. And from our perspective, it was a very small thing, like took less than an hour. We were able to go and do it well within our means and capabilities. But for the other person, it turned out that it was a very big event in their life. And for us, it was just a simple, like something you wouldn't even mention. Um, And so it was a very little thing from our perspective, but it was a very big thing in the other person's life. Mm. Um, And so it was a little important thing to do, not a big important thing to do. And so it's just weird. Like we live in a world where I think we're always uh, striving to like, what's the big important thing I need to be doing. And the the phrase, a little important thing that I need to do doesn't always register in my mind, I think, or in our minds collectively. And part of this also stemming from the fact that I just wrote a to-do list the other night for like, okay, now that we're back from the holidays and my to-do list has 64 things on it and I have 155 emails that I need to respond to. Um, that's like two weeks of work right there. You know, so those are a lot of little things, but in the grand scheme, I won't even be thinking of them a year from now. And so help me work through this idea of 
of focus. I know also you were watching the the movie. Uh, what is it? Everywhere, all together at once, or everything? How? What's the title of that? Um, yeah, everything, everywhere, all yeah, all at once. Yeah. So it, it a is that just the way that the world actually like the way we experience life, and and then how do we think about how to focus or make resolutions or resolve or organize our lives when really none of us have the luxury of strategically going and instantaneously doing oh I have this big important thing to do. Most of our lives are swallowed and swamped with micro. Um, distractions Mm -hmm. and just the chaos of everyday living. And then we can make a list of like, Oh, 64 hours worth of other stuff we need to do on the side at some point in the next three weeks. Is it just me or does anybody else's life feel like that? Sure. Well, I mean, I think a few items of context here. I think that for many people, when they hear something like the big things I want to focus on in a new year, that has to do usually with large goals or aspirations. So maybe that's, that's something to do with a career or a relationship. And those are largely centered again on not always, but they're largely centered on personal dreams and aspirations. Mm. And again, a lot of our modern world tends to push us in the direction, especially if you're looking at new year's kind of folk wisdom these days, a lot of it, you know, has to do with, well, Now you need to take absolute responsibility for all of this. You need to make this happen. I've seen multiple voices, for instance, saying it all begins with saying something like, I am where I am today because of all the choices I've made. I'm not a victim. I'm here because of what I've done. And if I want, you know, so if you want to get further or want to climb further or want to get out of your circumstances, so this line of thinking goes, push harder work harder, take responsibility. So there's obviously there's a kernel of truth in that. It's good to take responsibility. But to your point, Nathan, so there are, of course, those supposedly small or menial tasks that have to be done. And there are also those distractions that usually come in the form of other persons who need things from you, who need help, who need you to run an errand for them or perhaps want to run an errand with you, all of that. Now, a certain mindset, and I don't want to go down a slippery slope here immediately, but a certain mindset, if we're not careful, would want to see all of those, quote, distractions, and I'm putting that in quotes as, you know, something that just is hindering me from getting to where I want to go. Years ago, Nathan, I I felt impressed upon me by the Lord and again, I have to make the joke. Everybody makes this joke. If you're a Presbyterian, it's funny. I'm a Presbyterian. It's hard for God to talk to me. But I felt impressed <laughs> upon me by the Lord because I was focusing on a lot of writing projects. And focus is very, very important to me, especially when I'm working on a book right now. Focus is very important. And the phrase, welcome distractions, entered into my head. And the distractions in question were not, this is not scrolling on the internet. These are the people knocking on your office door or the children walking into your office and wanting to play or the neighbors knocking on your door needing help. So that's, that's one, that's one little angle. It sounded like Mm -hmm. you, it looked like you had something to say there too, Nathan. I want to. Well, so I think a big life is made out of all of those things. So 
what's your, what's your actual capacity to go out and do something big this year? That's constructive. It, you can do big things that are destructive very quickly, but a but to construct sure. a big thing, it, it, none of I I can't think of anybody who's done a big thing fast. So let's right. say that I've got this big important thing that I want to do in my life, which is improve my career or get in shape or pick any of the other top ten things that people make resolutions about. None of none of those are possible without. I mean, Cameron, you were joking about how the gym is now swamped with people because it's the beginning of the year. Um, and then that'll sure. taper, taper off because all big things are made out of repeated little important things. Mm-hmm. So it, it just seems like the, the way in which we conceptualize how our lives, and this we'll have to talk about discipleship in here, um, and what our goals are, and, and then what are the steps that are necessary to achieve the big thing. It's, it's easy to dream the big thing, and it's maybe even easy to line out the steps that it would take to accomplish the big thing but it's much harder for us to stick with the little things that need to happen in order for the big thing to come to fruition. And so it's our inability to focus on the little things, not our inability to focus on the big thing that doesn't make the big thing happen. Sure. Well, and so another way to to say what you've just said, Nathan, is that big things are always composed of many small things. And the day in, day out of the small, unglamorous, painstaking work is the challenge. But also throw in the fact that life is filled with surprises, not all of them good. And we have to, we have to be prepared for it. If, if we think that we can so engineer and construct our path that we can eliminate all distractions and that we can achieve a goal without running into all the traditional human foibles and human limitations and obstacles, then we're harboring, I mean, we're delusional. Or sometimes, though, you will see, you can read this in, in many biographies of so-called great people, <laughs> or oh, let's put great in quotes. If you read a biography of a lot of people who are celebrated in the United States as innovators, usually these are people who, who are very wealthy, have created lasting companies, and attained some, some level of celebrity. There is, this is not always the case, there is a common thread running through a lot of a lot of this stuff, and it's not just innovators. It's not just the Steve Jobses. This is also so. I, I'll I'll pick on my own milieu. This, this is writers, artists, filmmakers as well. There's a ruthlessness there. So the truth is, you can go pretty far actually if you are very ruthless. You and you you mow people down. And you just aggressively push people out of your way who are getting in your way and who are distract, distracting you. It's perfectly possible to do that. And more disconcertingly, you such efforts often do meet with success. If by success we just mean, you know, attaining, for, you know, advancing in your career, making more money, gaining more no- notoriety. I mean, many great writers who, whom, whose work I admire there's a note of hesitation that enters in as I'm reading their work because I've read their biographies and I know how terribly their families suffered. I'll give you a specific example, Nathan. Leo Tolstoy, one of the greatest Russian mm-hmm. novelists, one of the greatest novelists of all time, War and Peace, Anna Karenina. He was a vicious individual with his, with his family and with his children and, and with his wife up till his dying breath. So 
I can we can celebrate the beauty of a work like Anna Karenina while at the same time lamenting what happened behind the scenes. So all that to say, Nathan, as Christians, we're held to a higher standard, and that standard means that we prioritize, number one, our service, devotion, and love to God, and then to neighbor. Mm-hmm. And the truth is, neighbors are distractions. They, they will absolutely get in the way of your goals. They will absolutely <laughs> get in the way of, of your dreams. And so that's part of what that phrase, welcome distractions, was, was, was getting at. So I think we need to take that into account also as we're thinking this through. As you were saying that, I was thinking of a book that my sister-in-law gave me for Christmas two or three years ago that was just kind of a look at the daily habits of a whole host, maybe 200 really famous artists from novelist, produce, you know, the whole gamut of big names. Like if, if I read out the list of 200 names, everybody listening would know a hundred of them. Um, I mean like really mm-hmm. well known and their lives were just straight up dumpster fires. I mean, there, mm-hmm. there was not a single person on that list that I was like, boy, I wish my days were like that. Um, it was not a pleasant so, so the, yeah, that's an interesting thing. These are people that achieved big things, but the cost of achieving them was extremely high. And maybe, well, maybe you get one, some of that, like I mean, selling your soul to the devil kind of mentality there mm-hmm. woven into that. But sure. Well, what was it in from, again, from here's my theological neck of the woods and a thinker I admire in many ways, Jonathan Edwards. How many hours a day did he spend in his study? Was it 13, eight or it yeah. was more than 13, that? 13. Marsden has it at 13. Yeah. Yeah, no, and I would I would trust Marsden there. Well, some I remember somebody rattling that off to me with with real admiration, and I all I thought was his family. My goodness, no, I mean, yeah. so we I think, but here's another part of the context that I think we need to set here, Nathan. This year, I noticed I noticed a collective awareness of this more so than I have in years past. But the week of Christmas. There were so many jokes about how, oh, now here we are in the twilight zone of the week of Christmas. All dietary restrictions are out the window. Everything is chaos. There's no structure in my home. The kids go to bed, bed, you know, just whenever we do whatever. I've forgotten all my work passwords. I don't even know my coworkers' <laughs> names anymore. It's all gone. So that's a pretty... And I, I felt a little bit of that. That's those all of those the memes and the jokes were describing. Here's the the philosophical word for that is quiddity. The the just the basic feel and atmosphere of a certain time or place, and that's what it was. So you, that's that's your on ramp to a new year for many people, at least in North America. See, but I think this is good, and actually, it with the concept of feast in it, it. It is a reset. So I, so there's nothing special about the difference between December 31st and January 1st. So I don't think New Year's resolutions would even be a category if there wasn't a Christmas holiday. Because what mm. you need is you need to have your schedule disrupted to the point that you have to build a schedule again on the other side of it. And, and it's not that often unless you have an extended vacation sometime in the summer where you totally set aside your entire routine and then you come back and rebuild your schedule on the other side of it. So I think that's why mm. there is such a temptation to burrow into thinking strategically about your year. But I don't think it would happen if you didn't have Christmas as a as a holiday break. Um, well, that may, that leads in my me, mind, but it does. Well, that leads me to an interesting 
I don't know, this is a digression. It's thinking out loud, and that's what we do. So times of, I'm going to use the word festival, times of festival or celebration are essential to, to human life. We need those. And we need those, those, we need unstructured time. That's a hideous phrase. But yeah, we need times of celebration, <laughs> times of feasting. And of course, if you celebrate the church calendar, Christmas is not limited just to one day. It's a long celebration. So, but all that to say, Nathan, though, there's a big difference, though, between celebrating with a beautiful theme, you know, Emmanuel, for instance, mm-hmm. God with us, that ties it together not necessarily with a hard structure, a firm structure. I mean, some celebrations are more structured than others. Let's let's just be honest. But that gives it significance. That's the word I like. There's it's imbued with significance versus a time of just time off. That's unstructured time. Mm, right. Yeah. And it's you know, you're outside doing. the church. So that's where correct. So that's where a lot of the people I'm always got my ears to the ground. And a lot of the people I was listening to who no were not Christians were saying things like this is an absolute nightmare. I've lost all my motivation to do anything, even to get up and and go to the bathroom. I'm supposed to be relaxing right now. I don't feel relaxed. I feel so filled with anxiety. It's just all all this this nervous energy and my household is is kind of just everything's, you know, all of the it's all chaos. So that's an interesting aspect as well where if there's celebration but you have a significance to the celebration, versus, okay, it's time off. Everybody have fun right now. There's that kind of pressure that you have. When, <laughs> or else. Like, just, I, yeah. I think about a, a family pulling up to Disney, right? All right. Everybody have fun now because we spent thousands of dollars on this and everybody better enjoy themselves. If come rain or shine, there's that intense pressure. You will have a good time and you're not going to have any other time off. So... I think that's an aspect too. A lot of people walk into the new year, and you're right. There's there's no, you know, essential difference between December 31st and January 1st. They walk in from that twilight zone on wobbly feet, you know, feeling terrible because they ate too much, they drank too much, and now they're going. Now we're gonna, you know, walk on shaky legs into the gym or into the office. And now we're going to kind of seize the day. I just think that's an important part of the context of what's happening with a lot of people around this time of year. Yeah. So do you think New Year's are New Year's resolutions really a resolution or are they an atonement for the past two weeks? Yeah. And I think that's a fitting way of putting it. Certainly the, I mean, well, because again, you have this, we, this is an unstated assumption, I think, or. So largely unexamined assumption of our culture is that if you have times of unstructured time or holidays, whatever you want to call them, free time, those are also times of self-indulgence and maybe mm. massive self-indulgence. And you owe this to yourself. And this will, you know, this this is a great way to just kind of let off that steam. But at the same time, what what those activities do is, and especially the older you get, the more they take their, they take a spiritual toll always, but they also take a huge physical toll on you, more so the older you get. And so then it, I do think a lot of people think, all right, how do I, how do we expiate for this? It wouldn't be put exactly like that, but certainly, yeah, what, well, what right. can I do to? Well, look at yeah. the resolutions. Like, I want to lose weight. 
probably because you gained weight in the last two weeks. Mm-hmm. I want to save money probably because you spent a lot of money sure. in the last two weeks. You know, so there's that back and forth there. Maybe that's the distinction between the carnival and the festival, Cameron, is that the festival yeah. is a worshipful thing dedicated to an ideal that is life-giving and the carnival has that that carne fleshly um pressure yeah. relief valve to it i know you've talked about this a lot in the past um mm-hmm. so you can just decide whether you had a carnival or a festival by how you feel about it on the other side perhaps well yeah and i mean a key feature to get nerdy for a second so that's that's the carnival carnival-esque is michael michael bakhtin famous russian literary critic and just a real a very a, just a rip, sort of raging brilliant eccentric thinker but he basically the one of the the real defining features of the carnival as he conceives of it and he draws on a lot of you know thinkers medieval and otherwise but basically is that it's it's chaotic this is a time where the world as we know it the social order as we know it is completely reversed you know and Kings and queens, the royalty are no longer royalty in the carnival. In so in the spectacle of the carnival, you know the peasants attain have the same status as royalty, and so on and so forth. So those those roles are reversed. But there's also this this chaotic element because the social order is completely undone. So all that to say, I think for for many people, I mean, Amer- let's let's face it, this is the United States. A- any. Basically, any think of any holiday, usually it just as an excuse to drink, right? From St. Patrick's Day, come on. I mean, what a travesty <laughs> is that? Saint pa- we're, you're celebrating St. Pa- Patrick? Let's dye the river green and get drunk. Cinco de Mayo, I have no idea what this is about. I know it's, you know, it's 5th of May. Let's get drunk. I mean, so that's a, that's a sort of reigning assumption in America that is if, if you have time off or any kind of holiday, self-indulgence is the order of the day. And it's kind of chaotic. And there seems to be this notion that it's kind of good for you. But then on the other side of that, you have this behavior that seems to acknowledge that wasn't good. I need to undo everything that I've that I did the night before. But also then there's that craving for it. But let's do it right away. I need to use 20, 20 pounds immediately. You're not going to lose 20 pounds immediately. I need to, you know, I need to save massive amounts of money immediately. Well, you can't save massive amounts of money immediately if you've just spent irresponsibly for the last, you know, month or so. Again, big things made up of of lots of little things. Yeah. So here's here's part. So I think resolutions are fine. And I think it's great to set things and then the practice self-control that go along with them. So I'm not anti-resolution at all. And I think there are some wonderfully strategic things that we can do in this time of the year where we reorder and reorganize and reprioritize. And that's great. Um, one that you should all definitely do is go unsubscribe to at least five emails that you routinely get that you never read that you always just delete. So there's my little encouragement unsubscribe from some emails when you finish this podcast. Um, simple things in life really No, what, so I guess part of what struck me about this is I often like to ask particularly young people like, you know, in an ideal world, what do you see yourself doing in three years? So make it more than a one-year resolution, but like, you know, daydream with me a little bit. Like, what are you looking forward to? And they'll give me some vision. And then I say, so what are you, what are you doing like in this next semester or this next whatever? And, you know, shorter amount of time. And I'm blown away by the amount of times that what people are doing with their life has nothing to do with what they envision doing in three years. 
So it'd mm. be like saying, um, I would love to be a professional bull rider in three years. So I'm going to school for accounting. Like, that's what it sounds like to me of like, right. how in the world does the thing that you're actually spending your time doing have anything to do with what it is that you want to be? Um, now, sometimes people do have a very strategic laid out plan for that. This is not universal, but I'm surprised by a fair amount of time in which either people haven't thought about what they want to be doing in three years or have a plan or a vision, which I'm sort of sympathetic to because none of mine ever work out. But also <laughs> the amount of times in which we aren't really realistic about the practical steps that it would take to accomplish that goal. It, it just seems like there's something fundamentally broken about humanity with our ability to take lots of small steps to achieve a big goal. So you know who the people that we celebrate who are really good at this? You know what we call them? Olympians. How's that? <laughs> mm -hmm. You know, I mean, so yeah. we watch the Olympics for three weeks every four years and we're like, wow, those people are great. Not thinking they've spent eight to 10, 15 years getting ready for that mm -hmm. two minutes that you watch them perform. I mean, so there are people out there who are phenomenal at saying, I'm willing to dedicate a massive amount of time to a very short performance because it's going to be a big thing. So it's not universal, but I would say by and large for all the rest of us non-heroes in the world, we struggle to achieve simple big goals because of our inability to stick with the small ones. Now, and I think there's another say, point. say something to that and yeah. then I have something else I want to add in. All right, well, I this threatens to take us well, this is this will just take us in the discipleship direction. That's where so I want to go. Yeah. When you walk in, yeah, right. So if you walk into a gym and you want to, I mean, let's say you walk into a gym and you you actually now have a realistic mindset. I am I'm going to have to. I can't out train a bad diet. I can't you know do this instantly. I will actually have to have a long term goal and put in the work and just grind for a while and think and think you know think of long term health benefits and I will have to work hard. But with the gym, you have a physical ideal, most people do, toward which they are working. The problem is, so that's, that's physical. The gym is, I mean, there's, there's, there are a lot of spiritual benefits to a gym. I mean, I really, I would, I would say this, it's a, it's a very spiritual place for me in some ways. It's not a substitute for church or anything like that. It is for many people. It's worth acknowledging that. But I mean, it's a great place to practice consistency and discipline. There are numerous parallels with the spiritual life. All right. But that said, the ideal of, of the gym for most people is cosmetic. It's physical. Hmm. The problem is in our culture, we do not have a unified ideal of what, a, what, a, what makes a good person. There is yeah. no consensus on that whatsoever. So a lot of, a lot of us get, and, and so adding to that is the, is the crisis that a lot of people don't know what they want to be. They just know, I, I, apparently I need to be something great. I don't know what. So many people, many of us get secondhand from the culture what we want. Oh, so no, you, what you need to do is be beautiful or you need to be rich or you need to be an experience junkie and you need to just gather up and you, be, you need to travel the globe, take in all of this experience. You need to be an influencer. You need to be known. People should know you. Your voice is so important. Other people should hear you. And so that contributes to some of the confusion. But as Christians, one of the beautiful, liberating aspects of a life set apart for Christ is that we have that ideal toward which we strive. And it's not just, a, it's not some idea, it's not pie in the sky, it's not some notion, it's not a physique. It's nothing less than Jesus Christ. And it's 
we want to be like him and we want to imitate him and what we want to follow his commands and become like him. So that's if that's the organizing principle of your life, you have you have a purpose and you have a drive and you have a focus that is deeply connected to I mean to your maker. Otherwise, you're on your own trying to figure out what you want and who you want to be with no real goalpost other than no just whatever you want so let me let me tell a story on cameron so way back in the day cameron when we were in our 20s um and we we were becoming friends i asked you this question do you remember this i said hey cameron what are you looking forward to in life do you remember this? I do remember you asking. I don't remember how I answered you, though. <laughs> so w- without skipping a beat, you said, I'm looking forward to being holy. Hmm. Which also should have been an indication that maybe we were going to be friends. But because it was such a hmm. unique, so it's not like I'm looking forward to being a brain surgeon. I'm looking forward to being holy. So the it's interesting for a couple of reasons. One is because if, you're, if your goal is to... Um, hunger and thirst for righteousness, then an interruption isn't really a problem. So then you have the Good Samaritan as an example. Then you have, and you fill in the teachings of Jesus. You can go Romans 8 for all you Presbyterians listening out there on the idea of being predestined for what? To be conformed mm-hmm. to the image of the Son. Mm-hmm. Um, then you suddenly do have a goal, and then you ha- you look at the life of Jesus, which was basically the definition of an interruption. Um every which way mm-hmm. possible. Um, mm-hmm. And so when you start to change the, it's not moving the goalpost, it's just saying, what are the, so, okay, what was the Good Samaritan's occupation? I don't know. It doesn't say. Like, it's that's not an important part of the story. That wasn't the defining characteristic of, of who he was. How much mm-hmm. money did he have? I don't know. Enough to pay for a guy to go to a hotel. That might mean he had a lot, or maybe he just gave what he had. What does, like, was he in good shape? I don't know. Um, <laughs> you know, did did the was the good Samaritan on a keto diet? I don't know. Like, just none of these things that Jesus praises him for had anything to do with any of the resolutions that we as a culture make. Mm-hmm. So, if you back up then and say, well, what are the actual goals? What are we actually striving for here? Then the inconveniences become part of our formation. And so, what happens then right. is on the discipleship part is. So you have goal A, and then you see all the steps that need to happen to accomplish goal A. Let's say that God has goal B for you, um, which should be your plan A, but it's not. It's goal, and then God is going to put the things in your life to form to make goal B happen, which will always be considered an inconvenience to you if, while you're pursuing goal A. That's the Paul. It's hard for you to kick against the goads kind of thing. Um, and so, is what happens in your life the thing that God thinks needs to be happening in order to shape and form you into who He wants you to be? If we could, I mean, that sounds good rolling off the lips, but if we could actually live into that, which I think is what the goal of discipleship is, is to say, Lord, what are you teaching me in this moment through this thing? Then we are becoming the type of person, the good Samaritan, who is able to embrace the distraction as a wonderful thing. And in fact, a call of our Lord without any of the other interesting things that we actually don't really care about in life being the the main de- defining moments of our lives. So um, that is a very complex way to ask the question about how to begin the new year. 
but I think it's helpful for me to always step back, recontextualize, say, what are the actual goals here? Who plans the actual goals? And then it's just like having a trainer or a coach and everything else. It's always wise if you let the coach or the trainer be the one who facilitates what you need in your life in order to grow in the direction that they see you have room to improve in rather than to try to make it up on your own. So that's a both and to the, I'm, I'm not anti the idea of resolutions. I've made a lot of weird resolutions and kept them over the years. Um, but I think we want to be careful about making sure that it isn't guided by selfish ambition and that we're not trying to, uh, you know, organize our lives and not allow the Lord to direct our steps along the way. And then if we get in the right framework, then the, the chaos of the, of the lives that we live are part of the formation of who it is that we're supposed to be for God's glory and for our neighbor's good. And we do that with a deeper level of uh, satisfaction and joy rather than the irritation when our own plans don't come to fruition. You've been listening to Thinking Out Loud, a podcast where we think out loud about current events and Christian hope. Thanks for listening to Thinking Out Loud. If you'd like to learn more about what we do, book Nathan or Cameron, or if you'd like to support us financially, whether through a one-time donation or on a monthly basis, you can do so on the donate page at www.toltogether.com. That's toltogether.com. And please consider leaving us a five-star rating and sharing this content with your friends. It really does help.